Welcome to Broadway World's Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World's Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World's TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and Broadway World's number one Hamill fan, Jennifer McHugh. Is that is that a thing? Like, I wanted to say Hamill fan, but I don't know if that's a thing or not. It's not, but I like it. Yeah, I think it should be. Anyway, Jen, uh, have you come down from that Hamilton high yet? Absolutely not. Well, we're going to get more into Jen's experience with Hamilton in a second, but you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at B-W-W-Matt, B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you can read us, read us both across various Broadway World sites. We are calling this episode the season premiere of Some Like It Pop Season 2, because if all goes according to plan, this will be our first episode to find its way to iTunes. So if I don't edit out this section of the show when you are actually hearing it, that means you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so that you can get a new one every time an episode of Some Like It Pop is available. Now, on to the fun stuff, Jen. Happy New Year, first off. Happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you very much. You live in Los Angeles, but you ventured back home to eastern Pennsylvania? Yes, the Pocono Mountains, northeast Pennsylvania. There you go. You ventured back east for the holidays, and in between tweeting about your mother's daytime TV habits, which is... <laughs> game shows all day long, game shows. Yeah, it was really funny to follow. In between that, you had a chance to see a little show called Hamilton. Like nearly everybody else in the world, you have been obsessed with this show since at least since the cast recording came out. We've talked about the show before in the cast recording, but... Before we get into the show itself, give the listeners a reminder of your level of fandom before seeing the show. Well, it was borderline sickness. Um, I listened to it repeatedly throughout the day. I have my roommate addicted to it, his best friend addicted to it, to the point where they'll be watching Monday Night Football on mute and playing it in the background. Um, it's the next level obsession. We are all big fans of it. Um, to, both of them were history majors, so it... It goes across many, many genres for us all. So my obsession level was off the charts before I saw it. It's so much so that a couple of days ago you told me you are in the planning stages for a Hamilton-inspired tattoo to go along with your Les Mis and Lost tattoos that we've talked about before. You might have others. We've only talked about Les Mis and Lost, but the, the tattoo is happening, right? That is correct. As soon as I can settle on a quote from the musical, I have a designer at the ready. Who knew that people had tattoo designers <laughs> on speed dial? Okay, so you were worried that since you were going only go back east a few times each year that you weren't going to be able to get a ticket because it's such a hot ticket, especially during the holidays. You asked me if I had any connections to the show, which I do not. You asked a friend who was in the show for help getting a ticket. How did that go? Um, it Not well. One, because she's out on an illness for a month, and... Two, because she has just as much trouble getting tickets for people as anyone in the cast does. And she even put a disclaimer on her Facebook page for people to please stop asking her. So I didn't think that was the best way to go. Yeah, smart move, smart move. But all that being said, an incredibly kind and generous friend who knew your obsession got you a ticket for Christmas. And after all the buildup, after all the hype, uh, after all the expectations, you saw the show. And how was it? I did see it one week ago tonight, and it is, I mean, there's not a lot I can say that it hasn't already been said, but it way exceeds expectations. Just sitting there in the theater, the level of excitement, the level of loyalty that this this following that they already have, um, it's unprecedented to me. I haven't seen anything like it since the Rent Heads in the 90s. 
And it was really exciting. And I cried my the whole way through it. So even despite you already having sky high expectations, it didn't meet them. It exceeded them. It absolutely did. It is it is hype that is 100 percent justified and it is just flawless there. The performances are just out of this world. All these new faces up there and combining with veterans. And then you look around and you see all these veteran Broadway people who are just amazed at this new sort of form that's kind of taking stage. And then all these new young people, this whole new following that this show has brought. I think it's really revolutionary for Broadway, pun intended. Very nice. Well, I'm going to follow that up and say I'm glad that you didn't throw your way your shot to see the show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it happens. Anyway, now that Jen has had adequate time to calm herself, we're going to talk about the movies we saw and the shows that we binged over Christmas vacations. Both Jen and I did a lot of viewing over the break uh, to get ready for movie awards season and then also to get caught up on TV stuff. But I think first, the, the billion-dollar elephant in the room uh, is Star Wars The Force Awakens. As of today, we're recording on Saturday, January 9th. It has grossed over $781 million domestically and over $1.6 billion worldwide. And after just four weeks of release, that makes it the highest domestically grossing movie of all time and fourth worldwide. And it's just now opening in China this weekend. So, Jen, you are a bigger Star Wars fan than I am. I know you were planning on binging all the movies to get ready for, for The Force Awakens. What did you think? We did. We watched a movie a night before we went the night before it opened. Um, Thursday the 17th, we went to a showing and we had a blast. Um, I don't know how it was in other areas of the country, but here it was like a party. There was cheering. There was, I mean, as soon as the Star Wars theme came on, people went nuts. Han Solo walked on the screen. Cheers. It was great. It was such a great experience. And as a movie, I was really, really happy with it. Um, I love the new characters. I love the tribute to the history and I, overall, I was more than satisfied. Now, there's been some complaints that it's a little bit too much fan fiction, like it's too servicing the fans without creating something new. It relies too much on the original trilogy and just kind of recycles that plot line um, without really creating something new. Did you feel that or did you think like it was a nice homage rather than just blatant out and out stealing? I think it was a nice homage, and everybody's going to find something to complain about. Um, but I think he did a smart thing, leaning on the formula that was already there, but taking it a slightly different direction. And I think the main point of that is Kylo Ren, because Darth Vader comes out as this imposing, horrible villain, and Kylo Ren is this wannabe villain. And he's just, I, he was one of my favorite characters. I thought it was such a great choice, the way he played that villain, who's not quite 100% on the dark side and he just needs that little push and I just think that that was a great choice and I would have to go with the homage theory and people need to shut up <laughs> well you mentioned you liked uh, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren I really really enjoyed Daisy Ridley's uh, Ray, who was the main character there's been a lot of really odd kind of misogynistic discussion about whether Ray is too perfect of a character, or I, I guess this is a term that I learned I hadn't heard before, is a Mary Sue is too perfect. Um, but I really thought, I wrote this in my um, my top 15 movies of 2015 article, I thought she was one of the best characters of the year. Not only is she smart, she's strong, she's resourceful, and she's compelling, all on her own merits as a character. Not because J.J. Abrams went over the top to try to make her 
look really attractive and really sexy despite living on a desert planet. He didn't do that. She was compelling on her own skills and talents, not because she's in a burgeoning relationship with a male character or that she is in some sort of, you know, some sort of way related to a male character. She was on her own, a really compelling, great character. And I think that was a really cool move to make the heart and the center of this film a strong female character. And I think it really, really worked. I really liked Ray as well. I thought she was fantastic. I'm also madly in love with Poe. I think Oscar Isaac is just one of the actors of our generation. And he just brought that level of humor and cockiness that we come to expect from Star Wars. And I just, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. And, and uh, it wasn't until I saw the movie uh, Ex Machina, like two days after I saw Star Wars. And it literally wasn't until the end that I realized Gleason and Isaac were in both movies. So I was like, whoa, wait a second. I didn't even recognize them back and forth. And I'd seen Oscar Isaac in uh, Llewellyn Davis, so I knew him. Where he was with Adam Driver. Oh, that's right. Very good point. They sing a song together. Yeah, these actors who are so much uh, in the zeitgeist of really popular good films but aren't movie stars yet. And I think this is going to kind of catapult some of them to being really huge major stars. Dominic Gleeson being a prime example of that, because I've seen more of that guy this year than I have most of my family. And that's not a bad thing. Jen, we had to push back our recording time a little bit because you went and finally saw Quentin Tarantino's 70 millimeter roadshow of the Hateful Eight. You wanted to wait until you got back from your trip so you didn't have to try to find some obscure theater in the Poconos to see it at. Now that you're back in L.A., you saw The Hateful Eight. It is number one on my top 15 movies of 2015. I loved the scope. I loved the audacity of the storytelling. I loved the characters. I loved the beauty of it. I loved everything that Quentin Tarantino did in this movie. Please tell me that I'm not alone on that. You're not. He um, He's one of those infallible directors that, that always do does everything right for me. And to the point of where I get irritated at how perfect his shots are, because he'll just have a widescreen shot and it's so beautiful and it just starts pulling back and it reveals more. He's just so made for this job. He is just the guy behind the camera that needs to be there. Yeah, I loved it. It was so surprisingly simple. Yes, that's what I was going to say is that not only is he the man to be behind the camera, He's also the one writing these. And I think what is so impressive about his career that when you look at the first movies that he both wrote and direct and all those kind of things, you start with these kind of low-level gangster movies with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Then you go, he goes into a little vampire thing, a black exploitation kind of thing. Then he's got the Kung Fu. And now he's got two movies back-to-back, which were incredible, about Civil War era uh you know, almost Western. Oh my, the, obviously the hateful is much more of a Western than Django was, but it's, it's like he can do anything, but it's still always a quintessential Tarantino movie. It is. And it's not that I wait for it, but you know that there's always going to be one of those Tarantino moments that everybody talks about forever. And then when it finally happens, me and the two guys I were with just burst out laughing. Cause you're like, there it is. And I won't spoil what it is, but um, he just has, he has these little Tarantino-isms that aren't over the top. They're just really subtle for his hardcore fans. And just like the simplest of moments that were 
during one of the most tense scenes have this one guy in the background, Senor Bob, struggling to play the right notes of Silent Night. And every once in a while, it would flip from the tense scene to him making a mistake on the piano and getting frustrated. Just those little touches make me fall in love with it every time. Now, you mentioned the simplicity of this. Tarantino has been very um, open lately about wanting to turn The Hateful Eight into a Broadway show like this year for this fall. I wrote about it when I reviewed the movie that I think, and I've said that on this podcast before, that if he was about 30 years older, he could have been up there with Tennessee Williams and Eugene O'Neill and Arthur Miller uh, and and Sam Shepard in terms of the greatest playwrights in American history. Do you think this, how do you think this would translate to a stage? I think it would be brilliant. And I, I knew that because you had spoken about it and showed me the article, but my friends that I was with didn't know that. And as soon as it was over, they're like, I hope they put this on stage someday. So it is just so it would be easily translated onto the stage. And I, I look forward to when they do that. Yeah, and the characters are so good. That's what makes, you know, for all of the violence, for all of the gore, for all of the profanity, what makes Quentin Tarantino movies so special in my mind is that the characters are so unique and they're so defined and they're so unlike anything else you can see in anybody else's movies. And and as different as they are from every other Quentin Tarantino character's, they're so much like every other Quentin Tarantino character. How he can form a different person each time in each role is is really impressive, especially when he's so known for his style. Agreed. And I also have to say that I think this is Samuel L. Jackson's best performance since Pulp Fiction. Mm. I thought he was, he kind of left all of his Jacksonisms aside. <laughs> and he was really good. And in that room full of those those caliber of actors, he really stood out. Um, I think Tim Roth and Walter Goggins need mentions too, but there wasn't a weak link among the bunch. So if you have the chance to see the 70 millimeter roadshow of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, do it. It is a different experience than seeing the digital one. This version with the extra long shots, with the overture, with the intermission is is really something special. And we're going to talk about it a little later because I don't think it's going to get the love that it deserves. But in my mind, it was the best movie of 2015. It was definitely in my top five. I, I'm still going to stick with my favorite movie of the year as Mad Max, but definitely in my top five. Okay, that's fair enough. All right, let's talk about some TV stuff that we, we binged. We won't spend too, too much time on this stuff, but we both watched a lot of stuff, caught up on a lot of stuff this uh, these past few weeks. Jen, you binged the second season of a show that was released on Amazon, a show that I kind of gave up on halfway through the first season, and that's Mozart in the Jungle. What did you think of season two? Season two was delightful. Um, uh. Gael Garcia Bernal is just, oh my God, I love this guy. <laughs> and season two also finally gave us what we've been wanting, and that's Bernadette Peters actually saying. So Seriously. it answered a lot of things that I wanted from season one that happened in season two. And I loved season one. I don't know why you didn't like it. I'm not going to judge you. We have our own opinions. Clearly, we have very different tastes in comedy. So I'm not going to say, hey, watch season two. It'll change your mind. It'll change your world. But I thought it was great. And I'm so happy that the Golden Globes kind of recognized it, give it a little love. Um, I think Transparent overshadows it a lot, justifiably. They're they're different shows. Yeah. I, were, I really would like it to get some love because I do, I do think it's really great. And it's just an untapped resource. You know, the whole world of classical music, it's like any other industry. There's all this drama, behind-the-scenes things, and, and I like that that's kind of being showcased. 
the cool thing about season two is that they've had a lot of classical music guest stars. So if you are a classical music nerd, then this is your season. They just had Emmanuel Axe on the other night. He was a classic pianist. And Gustavo himself, who the Gael Garcia Bernal character is based on, Gustavo Dudamel, was a guest star as well. So um, it's been really uh, gracious to those classical music fans who turn in. Well, if you like classical music and really kind of over-the-top soapy action, check out Mozart in the Jungle. I, on the other hand, watched a show that I have been patiently suffering through for the last few seasons just because I love the first two seasons of it. Seasons three and four were incredibly tedious and painful to watch, but I didn't watch season five when it was on, but I decided to watch the fifth season of Homeland, binge through the whole thing in December, and I'm really, really glad I did. After the first two seasons of Homeland, which I think, especially the first season, are some of the best TV of its time, the show has gone so downhill. It's focused so much on uh, Claire Danes, Carrie Matheson's uh, mental illness and her hang-up on Damian Lewis's Brody. It just was not a good show. This season, it kind of returned to its roots. And while it still uh, talked a little bit about Carrie's uh, mental instability, that was a plot point in one of the episodes, it really did get back to its original mission of being a show by the creators of 24 that didn't have Jack Bauer. It's a show about terrorism and international espionage and what that's like. Season five, not the best season in the world, not the most exciting, not the most shocking, but it was really good TV about people trying to make decisions to keep their country and the world safe. It has great performances, always by Claire Danes. Um, Rupert Friend as Peter Quinn was great this season. Um, it's got Mandy Patinkin, who in my mind is one of the greatest actors on stage and screen ever. Uh, then you throw in F. Murray Abraham. There's a lot of really good supporting appearances this season. And it really just focused on the work of these CIA agents. It wasn't about their personal lives. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but it was always how it played into the story. So I really, really enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to season six next fall, far more than I ever thought I'd ever look forward to a season of Homeland again. You, I think, Jen, you watched the season premiere and then just quit. Correct. Why was that? Kind of like what you said, the last two seasons I've been sticking with out of loyalty. And it's just, it's one of those shows that are on Sunday nights. And Sunday nights are brutal. And it's, yeah, it's such it a bloodbath that I, I just decided to not go into it. I know that it's a great time in television right now that if you decide to say, I'm, I'm going to skip this season, six months from now I can be like, well, I have nothing to watch. I can binge watch season five, see if I like it again. So it was just a game time decision, and I stuck with it. So um, you tend to be more intelligent about dramas than comedies, so maybe I'll have to re revisit it. Well, one show that I made a game time decision on that you really watched is is Making a Murderer. I avoided that thing like the plague, and as soon as the first person on Twitter started talking about how frustrating uh, it was and how angry it made them. So I'm really glad that you watched it so I don't have to, <laughs> especially, especially because it touches on some issues that I know that are really important to you. So give us your, your quick thoughts on Making a Murderer since it is so much part of the popular discussion right now. Well, also, let's preface this by my addiction to Injustice and Dateline and ID Channel and anything crime investigation. I'm not that not let's let's make that clear. Not that you are supporting Correct. Injustice. You are not dedicated Correct. to 
perpetuating injustice. I am. It is something you are obsessed with, these stories of injustice. Yes, I'm obsessed with organizations like the Innocence Project and finding a way to serve justice. But I have been watching shows like this for years. And so when this started to get a lot of buzz on Netflix, I was like, did nobody see The Staircase? Because 10, 15 15 years ago, there was a 10-part documentary called The Staircase that focused on a trial that I've been obsessed with for years. So now this is getting some traction on Netflix, and I'm seeing it trending, and I'm seeing people signing petitions and everything, but it really feels like a bandwagon thing, you know, like, oh, this guy was done so wrong, but it's also a documentary. It's not there to solve a case. It's there to show one side of the case. So... You know, I listen to Serial and I watch all these Datelines and everything, and they are made to show you one side of a story. So it's just amusing, not amusing, that's the wrong word, um, amazing. <laughs> Let's just keep it, keep it <laughs> linguistically. Um, it's just funny how people all of a sudden notice that there was injustice in the world and they needed to do something. <laughs> and the easiest thing to do is to decide that a man is innocent for once instead of deciding that a man is guilty and sign a petition to get him out of jail. So I love that it sparked a discussion. I love that everyone is suddenly interested in injustice, but it's been around for a long time. They're not doing anything revolutionary. And um, if you get frustrated very easily, then no, don't watch it because it will keep you up at night. Yeah. Well, that kind of dovetails nicely with something we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but you mentioned The Innocence Project, a TV show, a fictionalized TV show that you and I both love, uh, is ending its run this season, this coming fourth season of Rectified, will be the last for the show. And that show focuses on someone who we don't know if they're innocent or guilty, but they are released from jail because of work of a program like The Innocence Project. What are your thoughts on the final season of, of Rectify coming up this, this summer? Well, as you know, it's one of my favorite shows. I think it is so underrated and underappreciated, the acting and the writing and the tone of it. Um, but as you said, we got more of it than we probably should. We probably would have 10 years ago. It's given us three brilliant seasons. And so I'm glad we'll get at least one more to try and wrap it up. Um, I just, I just hope that over time it becomes one of those cult classics that people were sad they didn't watch when it was on. Yeah, it, it was in my top, I think it was in my top five on my 15 best TV shows of the year. So you can check out that list where I write a little bit more about it, but For me, I just hope that because they know they've got an end coming, that they don't change what makes this show so special. And it is that so much of the great acting happens in complete and utter silence. Things develop slowly. I mean, they've had three seasons of this show, and I think it's only taken like a month of time. Scenes are done with no speaking, and it's just done in the the actors' faces and and the interactions they have with their co-stars. It's really a brilliant show, and I and I hope more people uh, get a chance to watch it. A show that is also about crime, but in a much different way that I binged over the holidays um, is Marvel's Agent Carter. I am kind of in and out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I enjoy the movies, but I'm not obsessed. I really like the Netflix stuff, but I never really got into Agents of Shield. But I really like Haley Atwell, and so I binged the first season of Marvel's Agent Carter, where she plays the same character that she did in the first um, Captain America movie, but she's back in the U.S. um, working for the SSA, I think is what the the acronym is, and she is definitely in a man's world, and she takes that entire first season 
to prove that she is a valuable espionage asset. It's a really, really fun show. It's got some great um, callbacks to other Marvel stuff. And Haley Atwell is a great star. Season two debuts uh, in a couple in a couple weeks on January 19th. Um, the action is relocated to Hollywood, so that should be a lot of fun. Some really cool stuff. If you like kind of action stuff, but some fun Marvel uh, stuff on TV, check out Marvel's Agent Carter. You'll really enjoy it, I think. Is there anything else that you really wanted to talk about um, real quick before we move on that you binged over the break? Well, I was fortunate to get an advanced copy of a few episodes of the OJ miniseries coming out on FX in February, which we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, it has an all-star cast with Cuba Gooding Jr. as OJ, uh, Sarah Paulson as Marsha Clark, David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian, John Travolta as Shapiro. Um, I wasn't expecting it, but it is good. And... I'm a little bit older than you. We don't need to dwell on that. But I remember vividly being in college watching the chase and the trial and just revisiting this now, 20 some years later, learning more about the days that followed, learning more about what it went into it. And granted, it's Ryan Murphy. You know, there's going to be a bit of dramatic um, liberty, <laughs> um, yeah. but they do such a good job. This casting is impeccable. Selma Blair is Chris Jenner and Nathan Lane is wow. F. Lee Bailey. Like it, they just really nailed it. So I'm excited to see the rest of it. I really think it's going to be a huge hit for FX. I couldn't believe how it sucked me in way more, more than making a murderer did. Really? And you are not a Ryan Murphy fan. And, uh, I am not. So, so that's no. good to hear. I haven't watched my screeners yet, but I definitely will before the show debuts on, February 1st, February 2nd? February 2nd. February 2nd. Okay, cool. I binge-watched the third season of House of Cards. I, I The show is fine. It's, it was background stuff while I was working. It The first season was really good. Since then, hasn't been all that great. I was really disappointed in season three that Frank and Claire, um, spoiler alert, it's been out for almost a year, but spoiler alert, Frank and Claire are separating at the end. Their relationship was the best part of the show for me after the first season. It kept them human. It made them something you can actually root for when they were a team. So the fact that they're kind of breaking up now, at least that's how it looks at the end of season three, was was disappointing. So that kind of let me down. I also binge-watched season five of Shameless, but are you going to talk about Shameless later? Um, just that it's coming back a little bit, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you a few thoughts on, on that. I've seen the first two episodes of this new season as well. Um, so we can talk about that in a bit. But now we've talked about a couple movies. We've talked about... Uh, some TV that we've binged. Let's talk about the big news that's going to be happening this week in entertainment. Believe it or not, it is already time for Oscar nominations. They will be announced on Thursday. If all goes according to plans, that will be the day after this podcast is released. So Jen and I wanted to share our thoughts on the three big categories. Before the announcements are made, we'll give some uh, predictions, some things that we think will happen, some things we don't want to happen, some things that we really hope happen. Um, Let's start, Jen, with the best actor category. What are your thoughts when you look at this um, from either a microscopic level or a 10,000 foot view of this category? What do you think is going to happen? What do you want to happen? What do you hope doesn't happen in the best actor category? Well, honestly, at this point, I think it's Leo's to lose. Um, I think it's a very, it's always a strong category. 
but he is a sentimental favorite because he's never won. He's been nominated a bunch of times. And I really think this is his role. And I think the great spoiler could be Matt Damon. He's gotten a lot of buzz for The Martian. And I think those are the two that will take home the Golden Globes on Sunday. When this airs, we will have known if I'm correct or not. Right. Um, but I, I really do at this point think it's DiCaprio's to lose. My dark horse, my wish list would be for Jason Siegel for End of the Tour. I know that won't happen, but that's who I would vote for if it were up to me. Yeah, I think Leo is the odds-on favorite, not only because his performance is good in The Revenant, but he's got that Susan Lucci vibe to him where he's been doing such good work for so long. The chances of him not winning are pretty slim at this point, especially considering between the cinematography and Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, that's really all that movie has going for it, because otherwise it's pretty dull. Uh, I was not a huge fan of that one. Um, my sentimental favorite... I really hope that Michael Fassbender gets nominated for Steve Jobs. That's a movie that I thought was painfully underappreciated when it came out. I thought it was a fantastic performance by him, an incredibly well-written script by Aaron Sorkin. So the chances of it getting much consideration for things, it might be an outside uh, Dark Horse Best Picture nominee, but I really hope that Fassbender gets nominated because he, despite the fact that he looks nothing like Steve Jobs, he really embodied what we know of Steve Jobs. So that's what I'm hoping happens. All right, moving to the best actress category. Like you said, the, the best actor category has got a lot of strong performances, as does the best actress. They're really, really good. Um, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is going to have Kate Blanchett in the lead for Carol, even though I don't think either of us love that movie. You've got Maybe Jennifer Lawrence for Joy, even though it's not a great movie. You've got a couple dames, Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith, hanging around there, too. But for me, the two best performances that I saw this year were Saoirse Ronan in the completely, utterly delightful Brooklyn and the heartbreaking performance of Brie Lawson in Room. Brie Larson in Room. Saoirse Ronan, probably, I don't think that's necessarily best actress winning worthy, but it's definitely a performance that deserves to be nominated. And to me, if I was the one picking who got the trophy, it'd be Brie Larson. That was, I, we've talked about it before. It's a movie that you have to see once and then never see again because it is utterly chilling and terrifying and heartbreaking. But she is phenomenal in that movie. It pains me to say this, but yes. I pretty much wrote down everything you just said verbatim. I was <laughs> underwhelmed by Carol. Uh, Joy's not a great movie, but Jennifer Lawrence is a, an award show darling. Saoirse yes. is adorable and lovely, but it will be nominated but won't win. And Brie should take it home. I've loved Brie Larson for many years. Short Term 12 is still one of my favorite movies. Um, and I loved her in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I love her. She's long overdue. She needs to be a bigger star and she needs to be in more stuff. So I hope it's her year. I, I've known of her for a while I uh, from Scott Pilgrim, but then I really kind of saw her really kind of, for me, make a, a splash in Trainwreck this, this summer playing Amy Schumer's sister. And then to see her go from that to Room was really, really cool. So I, she's my pick. I think Kate, Ban Kate Blanchett is prob probably going to be the favorite, but I don't get Carol. Um, I don't either. It was fine. I just didn't get it. But that brings us into Best Picture. Um, Jen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my 
view of this category, and then I want you to respond because you and I have both seen nearly all of the contenders. Uh, I, there might be some that we're missing, but I, I just want to kind of give you, I just jotted down some notes. You tell me where I'm right, which is everywhere, and then tell me where you're wrong in thinking that I'm wrong, okay? I'm not even commenting. Right. Okay. Um, best Picture category is a little different than the acting ones because of heck, it might be 10 years ago now, they decided to start allowing up to 10 nominees in this category. Unfortunately, in many of the years since, I don't think there's been nearly enough films to justify that. However, I think there are legitimately 12 to 15 movies that deserve to be recognized. Now, I don't think there's nearly that many that deserve to compete for the award, but I think there's a handful that are lock-solid picks to be nominated. That's Spotlight, The Big Short, The Revenant, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, Bridge of Spies, and Despite Our Objections, Carol. That seems to be the way that's going. So that's Spotlight, Big Short, Revenant, Mad Max, The Martian, Bridge of Spies, and Carol. That's seven. That leaves three spots. I would personally love to see Straight Outta Compton and Inside Out get nominations, which I think is possible. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. I also, like I said, I had Steve Jobs as my number four movie of the year, but I don't think it's going to make the cut. I mentioned earlier that The Hateful Eight was my favorite movie of the year, but I don't think that's going to get nominated. I also think it might actually get, sh get shut out of the Best Screenplay nomination, which is a travesty. Um, and there are a couple films that are going to get nominated that I don't think have any business being nominated, and I think you agree with me. Um, the first is Carol, which we mentioned. Clay Van Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are fine, and of course Kyle Chandler's in it, which makes it even better. But it just was a movie that I... There wasn't much to it. There, there just wasn't a whole lot of best, best, best picture-worthy material. And the other is Sicario. This one has been like a critical darling, and I just don't get it. Emily Blunt is an FBI agent working to stop Mexican drug cartels. It's bland. It's run-of-the-mill. It's cliche. And I don't think there's anything special about it. Unfortunately, I think it's going to get nominated. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think will get nominated? What do you think won't get nominated, what do you think should get nominated? I agree with most of them. I feel like you're leaving out Mad Max. That has gotten a lot of... No, I said I said Mad Max. Oh, okay. That is my favorite of the year. Um, I think all of the ones you mentioned, yes. Joy and Carol, we agree, we do not get. And I, I agree on Sicario, too. I went into that thinking that it was going to be something revolutionary, and it, yeah. was, it was a cop movie. I knew exactly where, where it was going. Um, and Hey, I am hoping that it'll get at least a screenplay nod because they do tend to reward him at least with screenplay yeah, nods. That's what he won an Oscar for Django in, in the screenplay category. But I don't see it getting a Best Picture nod, which is, it is a travesty because it is so beautiful. I mean, I don't know what you have to do to be a Best Picture if that's not a nomination because it was just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, I loved The Big Short. I loved spotlight in brooklyn um i haven't seen the revenant yet that's my only one that i still have to go but i know the director i'm sure it's beautiful yeah. so i'm just going on visuals but um yeah i would have to agree with that list i don't know if there if if inside out could sneak in there that would be delightful i thought that was a fantastic yeah. movie i did too I, you mentioned brooklyn i don't have brooklyn as a slam dunk i think you and i both really really enjoyed that movie and really admired it but I don't know that it's best best picture worthy. Do you? 
Um, I don't, but every once in a while they sneak in one of those lighthearted ones just to kind of make it well-rounded. Like Juno snuck in the one year and... Uh, oh, that's this isn't Juno though. This isn't Juno. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit better than Juno. I don't know. I, I, again, that's just my personal opinion. Um, yeah. Some think people think that Joy is better than Brooklyn, and it just makes me laugh. But <laughs> but okay. and don't get me wrong, I love. I mean, I, I I think there's a really really good movie in Joy. They just spent most of the movie trying to avoid it. That that middle section where Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper finally um, are on screen together is really, really good. Unfortunately, that's the only time Bradley Cooper's in the movie, and it's the only time we see anything other than Jennifer Lawrence's character, Joy, getting hit across the face, basically. Not literally. She's not hit across the face, literally. But, like, every time she turns around, she gets another punch in the gut from people that, that are supposed to look out for. And the only time that there's any movie that's enjoyable is when she's with Bradley Cooper. And other than that, the movie is is tedious, but there's a really good movie at the heart of it. So I understand why other people like it. I put it as my number 15 just on the strength of that center section, but it does not deserve to be nominated. I would, I would like to see Room nominated. I don't think it's going to be. I'd like to see Steve Jobs nominated. I don't think it's going to be. Trumbo is one that has an outside shot as well. I don't think that deserves to be nominated and either. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Star Wars stuck, snuck in there. I would love that. I was pounding my fist last year that Guardians of the Galaxy deserved a nomination and didn't get it. So if, if Star Wars gets one, I will be completely on board with that. Agreed. Um, but as far as top movies, I think we're looking at, I mean, Spotlight had the buzz for a long time, but that's kind of fizzled. I hope that they get it back. Um, Spotlight and The Big Short, I think, are the two strongest contenders for me. If Mad Max sneaks in and wins it, all on board. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Mad Max, it did not bowl me over like it did you. I understood all of the different things it was doing. It was visually really stunning. It had so many different political and social tones in there. I just didn't think that it delivered them well in their characters. I I didn't care about the characters at all, and that really held me back from enjoying Mad Max as much as I as I really, really wanted to. I just adored it. And all I want in a post-apocalyptic world is to be on the front of a truck playing electric guitar. That's my ultimate goal in life. <laughs> Do you play guitar? No, but does it matter? Okay. Well, I mean... I can play I guess the piano. If, right, because being strapped on the front of a dump truck uh, with a piano makes complete and utter sense. Okay. We don't know until it happens. That's true. All right. Uh, any other categories, any other wishes you hope uh, happen for the Oscar nominations that come out on, on Thursday? Honestly, I... Uh... I wouldn't be upset if, if Sylvester Stallone walked away with a supporting actor. And um, it, it's looking that that might happen, at least for a nod, because I really, really enjoyed Creed, and I hope it gets a little bit of recognition. I think this Ryan Coogler director is is someone to watch. Yes. He's also been rumored to uh, be interested in making a Hamilton movie, so he's already on my side. You got Coogler on your side. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. You did it, not me. Yeah, I love I loved Creed. I thought it was great. It was not a best picture worthy like the original Rocky was, which people don't realize that Sylvester Stallone Stallone wrote the original Rocky. So he's not just some dude that got this part and, and has written it. This is his baby. So I would be totally fine with that. I also think Christian Bale probably deserves a nomination. Oh, yeah. Um for you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Spotlight kind of losing the um, losing the love. And I think that's really because it's a movie 
that stands on its own without a whole lot of flashy performances. Mark Ruffalo will probably get nominated um, as supporting actor just because he's got the character that we focus the most on his personal life, and that's not much. But all the other performances from Michael Keaton, who is an outside shot of getting nominated, uh, Rachel McAdams, Brian Darcy James, Liev Schreiber, it, they're just really workmanlike, yeoman-like performances that just are there to facilitate the story. They're not there to make waves. And I think that's hurting it in the award scenes because it's it's not nominated for any of the acting stuff or at least not leading in any of the acting stuff. So I think that, um, you know, that's kind of holding it back a little bit. But I would, I would love to see um, Ruffalo get nominated there. And in terms of Best Supporting Actress, I mean, I don't know. Kate Winslet, maybe. Jennifer Jason Leigh would be great. For the Hateful Eight, um, Alicia Vikander for the Danish Girl, I guess. But for me, I would be nominating her as much for that as for Ex Machina. So, I, you know, the the supporting categories to me aren't really loaded this year. Agreed. Um, I think I would go with Alicia too. Uh, the Danish Girl to me fell a little flat. I, I it was fine, like you said, but yeah. it wasn't anything like oh my god that changed my life. She stood out to me. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so tough for Eddie Redmayne, who was coming off an Oscar win for The Theory of Everything, to then go and do another Oscar bait biopic that it's so hard for him to kind of go from one great one to another great one. And he was fine. He was good in the movie. It's just the expectations were so high for him. And I think he's writing those expectations to some critical acclaim. And the movie was just, it's all right. You know, it's good. I enjoyed it. It it wasn't. Yeah, it was just fine. Um, But... You know, all right. We'll see what happens on on Thursday, the day after this. Hopefully, comes out. Uh, we'll see if we get our wishes. If the things we're hoping don't happen, um, we get a reprieve and we don't have to deal with. Uh, but until then, um, I can guarantee you, we will be all over the Oscars uh, at Broadway World when when the ceremony rolls around. And I'm sure Jen and I will have plenty to say about it here on Some Like It Pop as well. But turning our uh, attention back to TV, there are some shows premiering and returning in January and February. Um, So over the next month and a half, we've got some interesting things coming up. Some that Jen and I have already seen. Um, She mentioned OJ. I've seen one that I'm going to talk about here in a second. We're going to kind of go back and forth and talk about some shows that we're excited about or some things that we don't really know a lot about but we think uh, look interesting. The first um, that I'm going to talk about is PBS's Civil War miniseries Mercy Street. It debuts on January 17th. I've seen the whole series, and it's set in and around a Union military hospital in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, The characters are compelling. The story is actually pretty good. It's it's interesting that much of the focus of the story is on a handful of really strong, really um, independent women, which is interesting since it's a military hospital in the Civil War, and it's such a male-dominated culture. Um, you've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Hannah James, who is a newcomer. Um, you've got Anna Sophia Robb, Donna Murphy, all play these really strong women. And you've also got Josh Radner's in it, Norbert Leo Butts, Gary Cole, and a bunch of other really recognizable faces. The guy that plays Ian on Shameless is in it. The guy that plays, ah, what's his name on How to Get Away with Murder? The, the, the guy who's in the group, the Scooby gang, who's gay and has the boyfriend who's also in King and yeah, I on Broadway. Anyway, you know, come on. he's in it. I mean, it's got a really, really good cast, um, and, and it's really enjoyable 
except for the fact that the ending, I don't want to spoil anything, the totality of the show doesn't live up to the great performances that preceded. Um, this is billed as a miniseries. However, if this doesn't come back for a second season, I'll be shocked because ain't nothing getting resolved in this thing. So I, I told Jen, I, I was a little underwhelmed by the way it concluded because I think the rest of it was, was fairly good and entertaining, and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, I did not know much about Mary Elizabeth Winstead before, but she's really strong as one of the leads. And Hannah James is an actress who I know nothing about other than she's really good in this. They kind of play two women who come at nursing from very different directions and, and have very different reasons for being in this hospital. And it's, uh, it's strong. I mean, it's, it's definitely trying to ride the Downton Abbey wave. It's going to air after Downton Abbey's episode on January 17th. So if that appeals to you, check it out. Just know that the final episode, there's only six, the final episode is going to leave you expecting an episode the next week and it's not going to be there. Also on January 17th, Showtime debuts two shows that I haven't seen but I'm interested in. The first is The Circus and the other is Billions, which was a great cast with um, Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis, who I mentioned earlier from, uh, from Homeland. So I'm going to check that out as well. The next one that's debuting that I think is really interesting is right up your alley, Jen, because it is not a show that I've ever seen a single episode of. And that's the X-Files Returns to Fox on the 24th. So what says you about this return event? Well, keep in mind, I was an X-Files fan like 20 years ago. So um, I am excited about it. I saw the movies. I've always enjoyed those characters. And it was always a really interesting show to me. So I'll definitely be tuning in. Um, anytime the original people get back involved in something that's rebooted, Twin Peaks, I'm always, always on board. So I'm pretty excited about it. All right. So one that also comes out in February that I'm looking forward to is 11-22-63. It's premiering on the 15th on Hulu. It is a limited series from J.J. Abrams, amongst other creators, executive producers. And it's based on the massive 850-page Stephen King book, that is currently sitting on my shelf that I've been too intimidated to open for about two years because I don't want to get into an 850-page Stephen King book, but it really sounds interesting. As you can probably tell by the title, it is based on, or well, it centers on the Kennedy assassinations, uh, Kennedy assassination, but this is J.J. Abrams and Stephen King, so there's obviously more to it. James Franco plays an English teacher that accidentally travels back in time um, to about five years before the assassination, and decides to try and stop Lee Harvey Oswald, and then a bunch of other things happen. Um, it also stars Chris Cooper, Cherry Jones, uh, T.R. Knight, uh, Josh Duhamel. I'm really looking forward to this. This sounds like the kind of mix of character, sci-fi, intrigue, history that kind of really first drew me to Doctor Who. Um, and at this point, let's be honest, I'm going to trust anything J.J. Abrams does. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And Jen, if you've if you've read the book, I, I assume you're going to check this out. Um, this is going to make you happier than it should, and I dread that. But I, this is the first I've heard of this miniseries. What? Yeah. And I really thought we talked about this already. Maybe that was my brother, who's a big Stephen King fan. No, I hadn't heard anything about it, but I'm in because I love the book. I love JJ. I love James Franco. I love Chris Cooper. So I was just writing it down while as you were talking about it. Well, there you go. Merry Christmas. Yes. Uh, don't say I didn't get you anything. Uh, February 15th on Hulu, 11 63 So that's very cool. Uh, 
Jen, there's some things that I know you're looking forward to that are either new or returning. So what's on your list for the next few weeks? Well, January for me is all about comedy. And since you have no laughter in your soul, none of this will Correct. interest you. But um, obviously Shameless comes back, well, tomorrow for us. But after this airs, it'll have premiered. And that's absolutely one of my favorite shows. I do review it for Broadway World. Um, the others are all sitcoms, and I doubt you watch any of them. Correct. I um, don't even know what they are, but that's correct. The beginning of January gave us a very unpredicted season two of Gallivant, which I enjoy and cackle at. And Actually, I'll say this. I do watch that. I actually wrote a review uh, of the first four episodes that's up on Broadway World now, so you're wrong. Oh, well, look at you. Um, I I really enjoyed the premiere as their opening number was a tribute to how little anyone expected them to have a season two. And I just (laughs) thought it hit all the right notes, literally. Um, Also premiered last week was New Girl, which I'm a perennial favorite of. And and it's always sunny in Philadelphia for season 11. Damn, that's been on forever. Yeah. And this is literally a sitcom about reprehensible people doing reprehensible things. And it's right up my alley. It's my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah, um, and we've talked about that's those are the comedies that I can't stand. That's why I don't like difficult people. Yeah, I didn't like what what was the other? Oh, um, um, another period. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. I just it doesn't that doesn't make me laugh. I like ah, I, those I, are I my just favorite. Can't get into that. Yeah, see, but I love Shameless, and I and I know that's often entered in the comedy categories for award shows. But to me, that's not a comedy. Uh, but I did, as I mentioned earlier, I binge watched season five, and I can't believe I it took me that long because I really really enjoy these characters um and even though no one ever catching a break can be a little tiring it really is a fun show i i did mention to you the other day though jen that i'm kind of over frank i love william h macy but his stuff just gets in the way from what i really care about i did maybe for the first time since the whole karen thing i enjoyed his storyline with bianca the the terminally ill doctor but other than that spin william h macy off into his own show because he just slows down shameless for me. Um, I think that the focus is definitely more interesting on the kids. I'm a huge lip fan, and I'm a number one fangirl of Ian and Mickey. But I like he he's a good common adversary for all of them. And I I don't mind as, as long as the story doesn't focus on him. Yeah, I'm, 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 I don't think this will surprise you that I am uh, an Emmy Rossum fan. So uh, anytime we can focus on her... And just throwing it out there, her husband, the guy she married last season, um, and who, as this season starts, she's not sure if she's going to stay with or not, is played by Tony Award winner Steve Kazee from from Once and 110 in the Shade and many other things as well. Also, coincidentally, Megan Hilty's ex-fiance, and he is now dating ESPN's own Michelle Beadle. So there you go. More gossip. You, you always think I don't know gossip. but That was there you a lot go. of gossip for you. Yep, sorry. Um, what else? What else you got on your list? The other two shows for January that I'm looking forward to are season two of Younger, starring Sutton Foster, and season two of Schitt's Creek, which was one of my favorite <laughs> comedies last year with Eugene Levy and my favorite actress of all time, Catherine O'Hara. Um, super excited for season two of that. It's just a lot of tongue-in-cheek, making fun of rich people and self-entitled people. But those are the ones that for January I'm looking forward to. And then in February... The Return of Better Call Saul for season two and Martin Scorsese's new show, Vinyl. Those are the two I'm looking forward to. Um, also, the season two of Better Call Saul, I think, 
um, is going to be great. I, I love Bob Odenkirk so much. I'm really excited to see his descent into Saul and um, Michael McKeon, who is always underrepresented in the award show categories. Yeah. Well, and he's uh, done a lot of stuff with Eugene Levy and uh, Catherine O'Hara as well to kind of pull it all cir- full circle. Yes, I did. And on my plane ride home back to California after the magical Hamilton experience, um, I did watch Best in Show. It was one of the options on my flight, and I hadn't seen it in so long. And, man, that is, does that hold up? Yeah, everything, all the Christopher Guest stuff really holds up. A Mighty Wind, obviously the, the original Spinal Tap and Guffman. Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, it's, it's there, there's no, no one that does anything like him. And I, I would be shocked if he's not now directing direct TV commercials because they pretty much have all of those people we've just talked about in them. So it's got uh, Jennifer Coolidge in some of them and um, Frank Willard. And there's just, it's, it's really weird how direct TV commercials are now turning into Christopher Guest movies. But you mean Fred That's Willard, for another right? time. What did I say? Frank. Yeah, Frank Willard, who is the twin brother of Fred Willard. Right. Right. Like anyway. Friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they switch them in and out. That's another show we didn't talk about. Fuller House debuting at the end of February. I think that's enough said there. Yeah, couldn't care less. No, me neither. All right. Anything else in the pop culture world, Jen, that you have to get off your chest? Um, No, I really need to buckle down and finish. There's so many shows that are streaming that sometimes I get really into them and then halfway through I'll be like, oh, I'll come back to this and I never go back. So I really yeah, need to get into a bunch of those series like Narcos and House of Cards season three and a bunch of stuff like that and just finish them and cross them off my spreadsheet. Yeah, I need to I need to check out Narcos as well. I will tell you, you these are comedies that I would like, but you do not. I really enjoyed the first two episodes of Angel from Hell. Um, the, the first one debuted last week. I saw I've seen episode two, which I don't remember what night it comes out. So actually it'll come out. On the 14th, it's a Thursday show that's with Maggie Lawson and Jane Lynch. I really liked it. Nobody else in the world seemingly did. Um, I also really like Superstore um, with America Ferreira. And it is one of those shows that's really weird. It maybe wants to be a little too much like The Office, but it does stand up on its own. Um, it's a show that it's a single cam comedy. It's not a laugh track, which Jen abhors. But even though it's on NBC, which she refuses to watch, it's really funny that the interstitial scenes of people in what is effectively Walmart are straight out of the people of Walmart website. And it's some really funny stuff. If you get a chance, if you can stomach watching an NBC show, Jen, I would recommend checking out the episodes. I think they're all streaming. It is pretty funny. And America Ferreira is just darling and she should be on TV a lot more. Well, I'll agree with you on America Ferrera, and I also like the guy that's in it, the one that was on Mad Men and in that short-lived A to Z. Yeah, A to Z with with Yeah, I like yeah. him a lot, so I don't know. We'll see if I get bored enough. Well, and I told you earlier this week that Amanda from Shameless, who is Lip's kind of girlfriend, I don't know if they're officially boyfriend and girlfriend or if it's just yeah. a scam, but she's on it as well, and I didn't recognize her. Like, I've seen her now for two seasons of Shameless, and I didn't recognize her and until I looked her up. I was like, hey, that act- who's that actress? And it's her. And so she's really funny and a completely different character. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out. All right. Also, I'm going to be on Broadway radio this week talking about Grease Live TV and film news as it relates to theater and the national tour of The Sound of Music that just came through Orlando. So make sure to check out uh, This Week on Broadway from Broadway Radio. 
And I'm going to put links to my top 15 lists of 2015. So check those out and be sure to let me know where I was right and if I was wrong somewhere, if I missed something. So Jen, why don't you, uh, why don't you close us out for the week? Are you still doing your article a day resolution? I am. I kind of took some time off for the holidays, but kind of backloaded things. So it wasn't necessarily one every day, but there's one for every day. Uh, but yes, yes, I am. Well, good for you. Um, as you know, Matt and I are both writers on broadwayworld.com. Besides that daily feature, he also reviews film, theater scene in Orlando, Florida, and I recap the shows such as Walking Dead, Empire Scandal, and Shameless starting this week. I'm also going to be doing some miscellaneous interviews and opinion pieces throughout the year, but you can follow us both on Twitter, myself at EponineQ, E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and at Matt. So for Matt Tamanini, editor extraordinaire, and myself, Jennifer McHugh, self-proclaimed TV queen, we shall see you next time. And, oh, did the president call? No promises. You tend to be more intelligent. <laughs>